Welcome. We are so glad that you're here this morning. For those of you that may not know me, I, I think I've introduced everybody, myself to everybody that's here. But if you're online and you don't know me, my name is Paul Huff. I'm the pastor here at Crosspoint Fellowship. And I'm excited that you are joining us today here in the new year. I've got a little bit of nervousness today that I don't normally have. And I think it's just the excitement of the new year and the excitement of where we're starting out. We're going to go uh, through our core beliefs uh, Evan Plemons killed this graphic. I know he doesn't like attention, but like it's one of my favorite graphics that he's ever done. But before we do that, uh, I have to present this. Now, those of you that don't know, this is the trophy for the Crosspoint Fellowship Fantasy Football League World Champion. And I've had this. I need you to be quiet, please, Caitlin. I've had this in my house. I've had this in my house for over a year. And I, it has been told to me that I must present it to the new winner of this year's league. And so, without further ado, I'd like to present this trophy to myself, because, because I won again. I won for a second straight year, second time. Caitlin's only goal was for me not to win, but looky here, Caitlin, I've won this trophy. And uh, I'd like to thank the Academy, um, for those of you that didn't want me to win, especially Caitlin, and... Uh, I'll just hold on to this for another year, and maybe next year, maybe, I'll give it to someone else. But let's be honest, Caitlin, I doubt it. <laughs> now, into the actual serious stuff of the day. Over the next three weeks, we are going to discuss the Trinity, starting today with God the Father. And then next week, we'll continue with Christ the Son. And then in week three, uh, we'll finish with God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is all a part, of course, of our bigger goal to discuss and go over Crosspoint's core beliefs. Now, for many of you uh, and for many Christians, the idea of the Trinity is abstract and frankly confusing. And I'll tell you here today that I don't blame you for that one bit. Um, while many feel uh, as if um, an understanding or a lack thereof doesn't really affect their faith at all, I want you to at least leave after these three weeks with hopefully more answers than questions. That's my goal. Uh, before we do begin, though, I want to start with two admissions to you today. First, while I firmly believe that the idea of the Trinity is firmly supported by Scripture, nowhere in Scripture is the term Trinity used. You're not going to see it. You will not find John 10:35, the Trinity saith, I mean, it's just, it, it's not there. It's not um, something that is concretely in Scripture from a just expressly stated point of view, right? I hope that makes sense. Uh, it is, I believe, however, still theologically significant, although it is not in the Bible. Second, I don't think that a lack of understanding of the Trinity or a feeling that it is of maybe lesser significance in your walk with Christ affects the outcome of your faith. I truly don't. I don't think that a misunderstanding of the Trinity or just an idea that, hey, I need to follow after Jesus uh, first and foremost, I, I think that's the key, right? And so I don't think maybe uh, your lack of understanding on the Trinity or just your lack of overall feel maybe of its importance is going to send you to hell. I hope, I mean, I hope you kind of understand what I'm saying with that. When it comes down to it, as I just said, what matters most to me is your belief in Jesus. Because 
I think that if you believe in Jesus and you are in line with Jesus' teachings, then you will find yourself in line with the Father and you will find yourself in line with the Spirit. And so what really matters is whether or not you have submitted your life to Christ. Again, with all of that being said, with those two admissions made, I hope that over the next three weeks you'll gain a better understanding of the Trinity and that you leave again with less questions and more answers. So our core belief, our core belief on God the Father in our bylaws reads, God the Father is the head of the Trinity and the creator of the universe. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is the foundation of love and truth. As his creation, we are subject to his teaching, guidance, and correction revealed through his Son, the Holy Spirit, and his scriptures. So where do we get the basis for our statement on God the Father? Well, for me, it all starts in Genesis chapter 1. First and foremost, in the very first verse. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I think that it's possible to read this verse and miss the significance. Because at first, when you read through that, it doesn't seem uh, like one of those verses that's going to just knock you off your feet. It doesn't seem uh, to some as um, just overly powerful, right? But there is a very, very strong foundation that is being laid in this verse and really in the first chapter of Genesis as a whole. So first and foremost, Genesis establishes God as the beginning of all things. In the beginning, God. If you've been in church at any point in your life that, and you've discussed Genesis, you've probably heard that verse stopped at that point, right? In the beginning, God. We don't, we, the rest of it doesn't matter. Just in the beginning, God. If we can understand that and hold on to that, we're going to be in a really great place. And to a certain extent, I don't necessarily disagree with that. See, what Genesis 1-1 is telling us is that there is nothing that is, has been, or will be that did not receive its start in the creator that we call God the Father. It's part of why he receives the name Father. And the implications of this in my mind, and hopefully soon to be in your mind, are profound. This means that everything that exists is under his control. That is a logical conclusion. Logically, a creation is subject to its creator. A creation is subject to its creator. It also logically follows that God, being the beginning of anything in existence, is by definition all-powerful, all-knowing, the foundation of wisdom and love, and the source of existence. Just by definition, if he is the beginning of all things, then he is the source of all things, then he is those things that we just stated. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is the foundation of wisdom and love, he is the source of our existence. The only argument that you can make with these statements is whether or not you believe God is a real thing, right? If God is real, if God is who Christians claim that God is, the rest of these follow. Now, if you don't think that God exists, that's your argument. But if God exists, then these things must be true. Secondly, Genesis chapter 1 establishes God as the basis of law. 
He is the basis of law. Whom better to lay out the guidelines for a creation than its creator? Now, I don't know if any of you in this room have ever tried to teach a child a game. Any game. Card game, board game, right? We recently with the holidays have started to try and teach our kids some different games. Winifred loves spoons. Uh, She's not very great at it but she loves the idea of reaching out for a spoon and possibly hitting someone else's hand. I think that's what she enjoys more than anything. Grant and Caitlin taught us a good game over the holiday season called Tens. Uh, I love that game until Jerrica won five straight hands in a row last night, and then I proceeded to throw all the cards off the table, right? Uh, I get that from my grandma, I think. When I was younger, we played a game called Aggravation, which is a lot like Sorry, but in my mind, better. And that game got chucked down a flight of stairs, and then she went to go clean out her purse. Uh, And so... I like, you know, my family is kind of uh, competitive and frustration and I think uh, filled at times with games. I think it's just genetic is what I'm trying to say. But when you try to teach a new child, a new child, a child, maybe a new child, when you try to teach a child a new game, what do they always kind of do? Try to create their own rules, right? Well, okay, but if we do this, then this. And it's like, no, that's not how we play the game. Well, why not? And in their mind, it makes a lot of sense because this game didn't exist before you just told me about it two minutes ago, so why can't I make up a rule? Like, this rule benefits me. I think it's great. Let's create it. And it's just like, well, you didn't create this game. Neither did I. I'm not the creator of this game. I'm just telling you the rules of the game as they've been laid out, right? There's no one better to tell you the rules that you must follow, the regulations that you must adhere to than the creator of something. So whom better to lay out the guidelines for a creation than its creator? Whom better to do so than God? Whom better to do whom better to tell us what's right and what's wrong? Whom better to tell us what the law should be and say? The commandments delivered by God through Moses as well as all of God's teachings receive their rationale from this truth. He is the beginning of all things, including rules and regulation and law. And so from my standpoint, we must follow and obey what it is that he has revealed to us through not only himself, his son, the spirit, his word. We have, I think, an obligation, if God is who we claim God to be, to listen and obey. How can I deny him who created not only me, but has determined my purpose. How can I tell God, well, this is a good game, God, but I would like to see at this turn, I become a millionaire, right? Like I want to set up some of my own rules that benefit myself. I, I, I can't logically in good faith tell God who God should be. The third thing that happens in Genesis 1 is that God is established as a redeemer. And this is part of Genesis um, that, you know, I love because it tells me that one, redemption is possible, and two, that out of imperfect creations, out of imperfect creations, perfection can be had, right? That is what redemption is. It's us being seen as perfect through what God has done, even though we ourselves are not perfect, you know? Uh, Grant talked to you guys about our, our pledge to be without sweets, and I will stand up here right now before all of you and tell you that so far I have adhered 
to what we said we would do. I am eating less carbs when bread is like a main food group for me. It's really bread and meat. I don't know why anything else exists, but I, I have been trying to stay away from carbs. I haven't had a sweet treat since uh, the beginning of the year, and so far, I've gained a pound. So uh, I, I don't really know why I'm doing this. I'm looking forward to frozen treat February, uh, where I will either lose weight, I'm assuming, because it's the opposite of what I'm doing now, or I will gain 50 pounds and be unrecognizable. Uh, but my goal for the year was to just not be the fattest person that I know. All right, that, that was my goal. I say that to say that sometimes in life, when we are trying to redeem certain qualities about us, we are unsuccessful, right? I don't know if you have eyes, but I am overweight. Uh, I don't think that that's a good thing. I am trying to make adjustments so far unsuccessfully, but it's been days and they say you should give uh, life changes more than seven days, I think. I'm sure someone has made uh, that statement at some point. And so there are times in my life when I try to redeem certain qualities about myself. I try to change things and I fail. But God, being the beginning of all things, being all-knowing, being all-powerful, being in control, does not. And so redemption can be had. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You see, what we see in these first couple verses here is that he brings order out of chaos. He brings light out of darkness. He provides organization for an unorganized world. He makes new that which needs restoration. God is a redeemer by nature. And his desire is to redeem you and the things in your life that you would look at and say need redeeming. And I think that that is pretty powerful. And then I want to move us to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 through 15. It's amazing to me, uh, and maybe it shouldn't be, maybe it isn't to you, but how the first two books of the Bible really tell you who God is and what God's about. And these verses, uh, I'll just giving you the little lead up here. Moses has fled from Egypt. He has killed an Egyptian. Uh, if you don't know his story, remember as a baby, Pharaoh had uh, made a proclamation that all uh, males, firstborn males must be killed, right? Like that, that was the thing. So you had to, if you had a firstborn male, they were tossed into the Nile or um, disposed of in some way. And I know how atrocious that sounds, but uh, Moses' mother did not want that to take place to him. And so she puts him in a waterproof basket because she was a, the first engineer we know of. And she, she floated the baby down the river. And then he, through just God, right? Through God, he finds his way into Pharaoh's household. And he grows up in Pharaoh's household. And he is a Jew of privilege when the rest of his people are in slavery in Egypt. And so he starts to, he, he kind of discovers his ancestry, right? And, and he starts to see his people being beaten and belittled and he can't handle it and he gets angry and he's trying to think of how to change things, but he sees one of their slave masters, so to speak, uh, just berating one of the, the Jewish slaves and, and he ends up killing this person. 
He ends up killing this person, and so he flees, and he's out in the wilderness, and well, one day when he's out in the wilderness, there's a bush, and the bush is on fire, and the on-fire bush is not burning up. And Moses thinks, never seen an on-fire bush not burn up, and so he starts to go a little closer, and as he goes a little closer, uh, he has a, uh, just what I would consider, maybe this is too far, but like a, a, a bowel-emptying moment, where, where... <laughs> Where I, I know, but like think about it. If you're walking towards a burning bush that is on fire, that is not burning up, and then you hear Moses. I'm assuming God's voice is deep because it wouldn't be as good if it's like Moses, you know? Like if, if God had Mike Tyson's voice, uh, uh, it, and no offense, Mike Tyson, don't find me and kill me. Um, it, it wouldn't for some reason be as powerful to me. So I'm thinking that his voice is deep and just booming. And he's like, Moses, don't come for it. This is holy ground. And, and Moses is like, Ugh. and then God's like, hey, I need you to go back to Egypt and I need you to free your people. I need you to do this. And Moses is like, nope, Jonah moment, excuses. Can't, don't talk well, don't do this well, don't do that well, uh, all these things. And so eventually he says, well, why would they believe me? Like, why, why should they believe me? Who do I tell them sent me? And so this is where we are. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. It says, then God said to Moses, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am who I am. Now, if you've ever asked somebody their name and they replied with, I am who I am, you're going to be like, all right, dude's a little off his rocker, and you're probably like, great to meet you, and turn around and walk away. But... God's reply to Moses speaks to his self-existence and all-sufficiency. I knew I was going to get twisted on that. I've been practicing all week. Speaks to his self-existence and his all-sufficiency. In telling Moses to refer to him as the I am, he is expressing that he is only what he can be. Self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal. He is who he was and who he will always be and who he was in that moment, God. And because of his unique existence, he is the I am. And there was something as I was studying this week that just poured over me. Poured, it was like the, 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 it was a moment in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit, I feel, in one of the most powerful ways I have felt uh, in my life. Because God is the I am. And so when we ask, like the Israelites and Moses asked him, are you going to take care of us? He says, I am. Are you going to provide for us? He answers, I am. Are you going to protect us? I am. Are you going to save us? I am. Are you going to love us? I am. You see, God is 
what you need him to be when you need him to be it. He does not promise comfort or ease of life, but he promises presence. He promises to be. He promises that he is the I am. So he may not always be what you want, but I have found it to be true that God has always been to me what it is that I need. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we preach about and believe in at Crosspoint. This is the God who redeems. This is the God who allows us to experience loss and say it's going to be okay. This is the God who allows us to experience confusion and come to the place where without understanding we can say he is in control. This is the God that was the beginning. He is the middle and he will never end. He is eternal. This is the God that you will hear about at Crosspoint for as long as I am the pastor here. And hopefully, if I'm ever not the pastor here, because you all have fired me for saying something like, what I said earlier, my hope is that you'll find a pastor who preaches to you the God of the Bible. Because at the end of the day, I have to tell you, if if I'm being honest with you, everything I read everything I study, everything I hear, everything that the Bible teaches me, I don't always agree with. From a sinful standpoint, there are things that I wish weren't so. If I could rewrite a couple things here and there, if I could make it more accepting of everyone's thoughts and feelings and actions, I would do so. That's just who I am naturally. I believe that we are to love people and be people of acceptance when it comes to um, just surrounding others with love. But I also know that Scripture tells me that I'm not allowed to necessarily be that way, that there is truth and there is good and there is evil and there is a rock on which we must stand. And I can be okay with it, knowing that this is the God I serve and that I am not He. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who redeems, that you are a God that brings order out of chaos, that you were the beginning, that we can trust you, that we can rely on you, that you are all-knowing, that you are all-powerful, that we are all as creation subject to our creator, and that you are a creator who is based in redemption and goodness and love. But God, you are a just God. And so if we ask the question, God, are you going to punish me when I step out of line? Am I going to face repercussions for my sin? You're going to say, I am. Lord, we serve a good God. You are a good God. And I hope that people in this room and who are watching online can reach that place in their life where they see you as a good God. As a God who makes the decisions that He makes and does the things that He does 
for our good and for our benefit. And Lord, because sin has entered this world, it is imperfect. Because sin is in this world, we face trials, we face tribulations. And while you never promised to give us an easy road, while you've never promised to remove all of the things in life that we find difficult, you do promise your presence. You promise to be I am. God, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. I revere you for that. May you receive this offering of worship that we are about to give. And may you bless each and every person that's here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and let's worship together. This is an opportunity to recognize who God is in your life and to give him an offering of worship and praise. If you need to pray, please come see me. I would love to pray with you for whatever struggles you're going through. I know that there are struggles in this room and I know how difficult that can be to start off a new year in that way. So if you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. If you have not submitted yourself to God the Father, if you do not consider God to be the ruler of your life and you want to talk about what it means to experience redemption, through salvation that God delivered through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can talk about all of those things and what I just said means. But I promise you, out of all the resolutions and goals and things that we make in a new year, there's not going to be something better that you can do than to get your relationship right with the Lord. If you'd like to talk to me about membership or baptism, please do so after service. If you need prayer, if you want to talk about salvation, come now. Let's worship, Phil.